Say amen. Now I tell y'all what. It's on now. All right. This crowd over here is thick. Now look at here. That's what I'm talking about. All right. That's great, but y'all gonna have to thin out. <clears throat> See all them empty chairs over there? Y'all, some of y'all, some, if you don't care, just, just, you know, it's America, you can sit where you want to sit, but uh, uh, in case we have visitors, you know, in case we have visitors, they kind of get wigged out if they got to sit beside a bunch of people. Now, we don't care, we're going to go to church, but that would be a great thing, not, 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 not right now, but next week, maybe, if you think about it, but how many of y'all remember me saying something last week about uh, running over children? <clears throat> y'all remember that? You know, want to hurry up and get to our seat, get a good seat, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And the children ain't getting time to get out. Well, we've got some security footage. Our, our, our security cameras have captured some, some folks uh, at Wednesday night Bible study with them kids trying to get out of here. And I just need to, I need to share this with everybody. No, get out of the way. It's Bible study night. <laughs> He's preaching the Revelation series. <laughs> Our tech people have way too much time on their hands. I found that out. All right, all right, Revelation chapter number one, we're going to look at the end of number one, we're going to finish our outline tonight, got some more really good information tonight, so I hope you brought an extra uh, piece of paper to write down on, uh, uh, we're going to, we're, I, I've, yesterday I had the opportunity to spend with a, a, a Baptist historian that gave me some great material that I'm going to be able to share with y'all in the next few weeks as we go through the seven letters and in, in the, the ages of the church. And, and hopefully, I'm trying to get, there's a, there's a book that's got a chart that charts our, the church history, the pure church history, all the way back to the, the days of the apostles. And uh, I'm trying to figure out how to get that chart without buying the book. Say amen. <laughs> Say what you want to, pirate card or whatever. I don't care. We, you know, there's, there's a lot of people in here to buy them, but the book's like 20-something dollars, and we ain't doing that. Amen. So I'm hoping they'll, they'll sell the chart separately, and, and, and so I'd love for everybody to get one of them as we go through this. It'd be really good. But uh, anyway, Revelation chapter number one. I'm excited tonight. Are y'all excited? I, I've, I've been a little under the weather, had to go get some shots, can't sit down, say amen. But uh, I guess the steroids got me feeling a little better, but this, this stuff's going around. So you make sure and, and wash your hands and, and, and do what you got to do, take vitamin C, whatever, Amen. All right, all right, look in, in uh, Revelation 1 and verse number 20, verse number 20. It says, the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks, this is what we saw in the vision, if you'll remember. It says, the seven stars are the angels or messengers of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. <clears throat> now, if you are here, is there anybody here, just out of curiosity, is there anybody here for the very first time on Wednesday night? Just leave, you don't usually do this. Okay, we got one up in the top. All right, some on the side there. All right, over here. Well, we are glad to have all of y'all. We are going verse by verse. Can we, can we let them know we're glad they're here? Thank you. Awesome, awesome, awesome. 
We are going through the book of Revelation and we learn that the revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's what God has chosen to reveal to us about His Son. Amen? Amen. Revelation 1 is the vision of the resurrected Christ. We see that, so that would be uh, uh, the Son's character. We learned all about the Son's character in His glorified state. But then uh, 2 and 3 is the Son's church and that's where we're at right now. We're talking about the church, the body of Christ. And so uh, as we go through this, as we go through this, it's going to be just, just as we come. Get the information and learn as we go. So let's pray and we'll jump into the study tonight. Father, thank you, Lord, for your, your blessings, your mercy. Thank you for the privilege of being here. Lord, thank you for this great crowd that's here tonight. Man, it is exciting to come and, 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 and learn and grow and develop. I pray that you'll help us now as we study your word. Help us to retain what we're, we're hearing and learning. And Lord, I pray that we can, we can be stronger in our faith. We can be stronger in our belief. Uh, Lord, as we are fi fighting the days of apostasy. Lord, the days of, of Laodicea where everybody's lukewarm. I pray that you'll let us be a Philadelphian church and a Laodicean age. God will thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Let us, let's, we, we had two pages that we gave out last week. We had two pages that we gave out last week. One uh, was just a little background information about what the church was. I, I forgot to print them off extra tonight, so if you don't have one, let me know and I'll, I'll get that to you. But this is what, this is what the page is. I want to just go over that real quickly. The first part that we did last week, what the church is. The church was first mentioned by Jesus at Caesarea Philippi. If you remember, he said, uh, uh, on this rock I will build my... I will build my, and that was the first mention of the church in the New Testament. The very first mention of the, the church in the New Testament. What had been mentioned before, and I'm going to go into this here in a moment, is the kingdom. It, everything was about the kingdom. Every, the promises, the prophecies, the preaching, going about teaching the kingdom. The kingdom of God is at hand. Amen? But now he's introducing something different, something different than he's been teaching, something different than John the Baptist talked about, something different than the disciples were going out two by two, the, the 70 that he had sent out into all the villages preaching, something completely different. And they didn't get it. They didn't understand what he was talking about. And uh, uh, so later on we'll see why that is. And, and the second thing is the church was a mystery until revealed by God to Paul. And I gave you the verses there uh, where, listen, it was something that was hid from the foundation of the world. Uh, nobody knew about it. None of the Old Testament prophets knew about it. Uh, none of the Old Testament men of God, none of the, none of the, uh, uh, the, the apostles really understood it. Uh, if you'll remember when, when, when Jesus ascended up into heaven, they were still asking about the kingdom. Are you going to restore your kingdom now? So they didn't get the church. It was a mystery revealed unto Paul. Paul teaches us so much about the church, even, even the rapture of the church. They didn't know anything about that. That was a mystery that was revealed to the apostle Paul. So let's, uh, let's see not only that, but the church is made up of called out individuals and not nations. All right, say that with me. The church is made up of called out individuals and not nations. In other words, there was a time when God dealt with nations, primarily the nation of Israel. Remember, he called out Israel. Israel was to be a representative of himself to the rest of the world, and he dealt with Israel as a nation. But when the nation rejected their king, and I'm going to talk about that in detail in just a minute, but when that took place, when that happened, then he stopped dealing with Israel as a nation. He, didn't, he wasn't through with them. He temporarily set them aside, and now he's dealing with individuals. Whosoever will, let him come. 
Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. Amen? Uh, that when we talked about the knocking on the door, you know, I stand at the door and knock. If any man, not people, not nation, if any or individual, right? Any man will open the door. Hear my voice open the door. So God, God has changed things. It's not, it's, not, uh, it's not only dealing with the Jews now. It's Jew and Gentile together in the same church, all right? The church is the body of Christ on earth. <clears throat> the body is the manifestation of the personality. In other words, we are to be the manifestation of Christ. We are to speak what Christ would speak. We are to act as Christ would act. We are to uh, 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 love people as Christ would love. The church, number six, the church is the temple for the habitation of God. And uh, then number seven, the church is the bride to Christ Jesus. Now, here's some stuff I want to give you <clears throat> and kind of help you, help you understand why, why there was some confusion with the disciples uh, when it came when it came to dealing with the church or talking about the church or teaching them about the church. Uh, all through the Old Testament, all through the Old Testament, you see there's promises of a kingdom. All right, say that with me. There's promises of a In order to have a kingdom, you got to have a king, right? And so from the very beginning, God has promised a king. He promised a king to Abraham. He promised a king to David. Primarily the D Davidic covenant that out of your loins it shall come a king who's going to reign forever and ever and ever. Y'all with me? Say amen. Now let me go through some of the Old Testament prophecies concerning the kingdom. All right? Concerning the kingdom. Here, here are the definite clues. All right? Genesis 3.15 the Messiah or the king would be the seed of an offspring of a woman and would crush the head of Satan. That's Genesis 3.15. He would come from the seed offspring of Abraham and would bless all the nations of the earth. Genesis 12.3. He would be a prophet like Moses to whom God said we must listen. Deuteronomy 18.15. He would be born in Bethlehem of Judah. Micah 5.2. He would be born of a virgin. Isaiah 7.14. He would have a throne, a kingdom, a dynasty or house starting with King David that will last forever. 2 Samuel 7, 16. Now, is there a king on the throne in Jerusalem ruling the world right now? No. No. Now, we'll explain that, all right? But did God say it was going to happen? Yes. He gave them that promise, all right? Now, so there's a promise of a king through, through the line of David. He would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and would possess an everlasting kingdom. Isaiah 9, 6 and through 7. Is that taking place yet? No, not yet. All right. He would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, righteous and having salvation, coming with gentleness. Zechariah 9, 9. That has happened. He would be pierced for our transgression and crushed for our iniquities. Isaiah 53, 5. That has happened. He would die among the wicked ones, but be buried with the rich, Isaiah 53, 9. He would be resurrected from the grave, say amen. amen. For God would not allow his holy one to suffer decay, Psalm 16, 10. He would come again from the clouds of heaven as the son of man, Daniel 7, 13 through 14. He would be the son of righteousness for all who revere him and look for his coming again, Malachi 4, 2. He is the one whom Israel will one day recognize as the one they pierced, causing bitter grief, Zechariah 12, 10. And listen, when the New Testament arrives, when we find ourselves in the New Testament, we find John Baptist coming forward preaching, coming out of the wilderness, preaching that repent ye for the kingdom of God is at hand. Amen? So he's preaching the kingdom. Matthew, the book of Matthew, is all about the king and his kingdom. 
Jesus teaching on, uh, on, uh, on the Sermon on the Mount, as he's teaching the Sermon on the Mount, he's teaching what it would be like during the kingdom time. If the kingdom was set up, as we see on the Sermon on the Mount, that's what, and it's going to be like that during the millennial reign. All right? The king and his kingdom, they go out two by two preaching the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, the king is here, the Messiah is here, God's promised one is here, but guess what? He came into his own, and his own received him not. They rejected him. The Jewish people rejected their king. And this is, this is what was said. When he proved himself who he was, when he proved himself by his words, when he proved himself by his miracles, when he proved himself by all the manifestations that he showed them, I mean, without this just infallible proof that he was who he said he was, he was God's son, he was the king that was promised, they said he does miracles by Beelzebub. In other words, they gave credit to the devil for the power in the, in the, in the miracles that he did. They rejected their king. Okay, when that began to take place is when Jesus brought up the church. Now, now here's what, here was God's plan. God's plan was to do what he promised to do and give a king, right? Through the loins and the, and the, the lineage of David. And Jesus is of the lineage of David, amen? And so when he came and his own received him not, the king was rejected, then God put... Uh, how many of y'all got a DVR with that pause button? Okay, that's what happened. God pressed pause with the plan for the kingdom. When they rejected Christ, when they rejected the king that God sent, God said, okay, and Paul teaches us this through the Pauline epistles, we find out that he set them aside. In other words, he temporarily paused the plan for the kingdom and now we have the church age. All right? God ceased to deal with Israel as a nation and primarily through the nation of Israel as a nation and now he's dealing with this world through the church. The nation of Israel was supposed to be a representative to the world about the God they served and they became corrupt. So now God is dealing with this world. Who is, to represent, who is to represent God to the world? The church, the body of Christ. Who, who is the only way this world is going to see God or hear about God or know God is through His body, the church. church. Say amen. amen. But one day the church age is going to end. One day He's going to call us home. Uh, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4.16, Paul described to us and he teaches us what that is going to be. It's the rapture of the church. The age of grace will be over. The age of the church will be over. We're going to be called home. Say amen right there. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. Say that with me. Amen. Caught up. Caught up. Now, that's the end of the church age. Then we find seven years of tribulation. Seven years of tribulation on the earth to do two things. Several things, but primarily two things. Judge this world and get the Jewish people ready for their king. And then Jesus is going to come in the second coming. And he's going to land on the Mount of Olives. He's going to walk across the brook Kidron, the valley Kidron there. And that blocked up eastern gate that's got a Muslim cemetery in front of it. 
He's going to go through and he's going to assume and he's going to take the throne of his father David. And for 1,000 years, he's going to rule and reign on this earth. And everything that was talked about on the Sermon on the Mount is going to take place during that time. And during that time, he's going to be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Prince of... Somebody say amen. Amen. Then Then the kingdom, then the kingdom that was promised, that was rejected by the people, will finally take place. But in the meantime, in the meantime, God is dealing with this world through the church. If that makes sense, say amen. Amen. And chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation is the historical information, the historical prophecy of what the church age would look like. And that's what we're going to talk about. Somebody say amen. Let's jump to our outline. If that encourages us, say amen. Amen. All right. Well, the church gets corrupted, so it is what it is. But how many of you are glad God always has a remnant? All right, let's look at our outline. Let's look at our outline. It should say Christ in the church. Christ in the church. Everybody there? Okay, all right. First thing, let's let's, let's look at the intro for those that wasn't here last week and, 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 and give you these real quick. Uh, First we see he purchased the church. Jesus purchased the church. It says in Acts 20, 27, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath hath purchased with his own blood. He not only purchased the church, he powered the church. He powered the church. Acts 1, 6, or actually Acts 1, 8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me in both Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. I'm glad that God gave us a commission, but I'm glad God gave us the power to fulfill the commission. Amen? All right, number three. And this is really, this is really what sets up, number three sets up the rest of the outline for us tonight. He perfects the church. He perfects the church. And what I mean by that, I'm not talking about sinless perfection that we never fail or never make mistakes. What I mean by that is the way the word perfect is used in Ephesians chapter number 4. It says he gave us apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists for the perfecting of the saints. It means maturing, developing, uh, uh, building up, edifying of the saints. God, God will work on you. Say amen. When you get saved, God puts you in a church that's supposed, this is God's original plan, to put you in a place that's preaching the gospel, preaching the Bible, verse by verse, line by line, precept by precept, because it will work on you, it will cut on you, it will build on you, it will take out the things that doesn't need to be there, put the things that needs to be there, and bring you to a place of spiritual maturity where you're no longer tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine, you're no longer a babe in Christ, but a, a, an adult mature member of the body of Christ where you're chewing on the meat and not just sucking on the milk. Say amen. That's where we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be mature. And how do we know that God is up to doing that? Because Christ is in the midst of his church. That's what we learned. He said he walketh about the golden candlesticks and the golden candlesticks represents the church. And he is in the church today. He's in this church tonight. He knows every person that's here tonight. He knows every hair on every person that's here tonight. He knows everything about you. He knows every need that you have. He knows every weakness that you have. Somebody say amen. Amen. 
and he's going to work on them. If you need patience, he's going to put irritating people in your, in your way. I see some people got some patience learning this week. <laughs> preach it, preach it. Hey, man. You know. if, you, if, you need to boy, if you need to be more loving, he's going to put unlovable people in your way because he wants you to love like he does. If you need patience, you're going to get tribulation, right? I mean, we learned all this stuff last week. He is working on his church. He's perfecting his church. In these seven letters... These seven letters represent, the, you remember the seven is the number of perfection, the number of completeness, and it represents the church as a whole. But three things here. Let's look at these tonight. Number one, I want you to see the practical help that we see in these three letters. <clears throat> the practical help. In other words, not only, not only is there a prophetic outline that describes the whole church age. In other words, what the church looked like and what the church accomplished in the apostolic age all the way to the end of the church age, which I believe is the Laodicean church, the, the Laodicean age that we're in today, lukewarm age, non-committed age. Uh, it, it lays all of that out. But the thing we got to understand is that he gave practical help to those specific churches. Ephesus, Thyatira, Sardis, Pergamos, uh, uh, Philadelphia, Laodicea, all these ones, these seven churches... There were seven real churches in existence at that time that was in Asia Minor, which we know as modern Turkey, that God wanted to help. And each problem, each problem that these churches had, we still have them. So he's given them practical help. But through that practical help that he's given those specific churches, he can help us today. For instance, for instance, how many of you have gone to church before because you had to and not necessarily because you wanted to? Yeah. He said you left your first love. You're not doing out of adoration. You're doing out of obligation. Boy, it's easy to do that. Man, it's easy to get so caught up with life and get so caught up with things that, that we're, we're not doing things out of love for Christ. Well, see, that's what the church of Ephesus struggled with. And then there, there, there's churches through that that was being uh, persecuted and they were, they were discouraged because of that. How many of y'all been discouraged in your Christian walk before? Wondering why things are happening the way they're happening and turning out the way they're turning out. You see, it's all there. And, 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 and if the truth be known, if the truth be known, we can get kind of lukewarm too. We can kind of, kind of spiritually lazy, can't we? You see, all of these problems we have today, and he's wanting to help. So let's look at how he did this. How did he give the practical help? First, in all of these letters, almost all of them, he started with praise. He started with praise. So write that down in your outline. He started with praise. For instance, chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 1. Under the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy, thy works, and thy, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and how thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and has found them liars, and has borne, and has patience. In other words, you've, you've put up with trouble, tribulation, difficulty. And for my name's sake has labored. Boy, we got a lot of people in here. Amen? Help me. And for my name's sake has labored, and has not. Now, in other words, he's saying, you're working hard. You're not putting up with sin. I mean, he is, he is giving them encouragement. 
He is praising them. And in each one of these letters, and I wrote them down, uh, uh, verse 2, verse 3, verse 9, verse 13, verse 19, uh, chapter 3 and verse number 8, he praises them. He tells them what's going good. He's telling them what's going right. All except Sardis. And what he said to Sardis, you're dead. Nothing good to say about Sardis. You're dead. And Laodicea. He said, Sardis, you're dead. Laodicea. He said, you, you make me nauseated. I'll spew thee out of my mouth. You're lukewarm. The Lord had nothing good to say about them. But in all the other letters, he praises them. He, he tells them what's going good. He tells them what they, what they have going for them. All right? B. With a practical help, he gives them praise first. But then he describes the problem. Then he describes a problem. For instance, with the church of Ephesus. With the church of Ephesus, he says, nevertheless. You're, putting, you're not putting up with sin. You're trying the ones that say they are apostles and are not. In other words, they were, they were finding false teachers and they were dealing with false teachers and getting them out of the way. Uh, uh, you're laboring. You're putting up with tribulation. I mean, they were being persecuted. Guys, that during the apostolic time, they were being persecuted. You've got you to think. John, at that time, was in exile in a prison work camp at 90 years old. So, so the church of Ephesus was putting up with great persecution, a whole lot worse than we could ever imagine. He said, you're toughing it out. Man, you're hanging in there. But then he says, nevertheless, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because you've left your first love. You've left your first love. You, you, you're, not, you're not working or serving for, for what you, you used to love me. There used to be a fire. There used to be an excitement. Man, there used to be a hunger. And they were, man. When the, when the church was started there, they were a soul-winning station. I mean, fired up for God, going after people, telling everybody they knew. Y'all know what it's like. You know when that, that thing is real and it's exciting and it's, it's inside of you. I, I love baby Christians. Lord, have mercy. They're so excited they can't help it. Say amen. And then some of us, we're, we're so, we're, we've been saved so long, we done got over it. Come on. And the worst part is, some of the ones of us that's got over it, all we want to do is throw a wet blanket on those. Oh, just give it time. Man, if that's all you got to say, don't say nothing. I, anyway. He gives the problem in each one of these seven letters. He gives each of them the issue. Now, now why, now why do we know he knows what the problem is? Look, at, look, in, look in verse number one. <clears throat> verse number one. No, 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 excuse me. Verse number two of chapter two. Verse number two of chapter two. When you get there, say amen. Say the first four words. All right, the second letter starts in verse eight. So let's look in verse nine. What does it say? I know thy works. Verse 13. Verse 19. Uh-huh. Uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Under the angel, let me, let me help you. Under the angel of the church of, in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars then. All right, verse 8. Takes y'all a minute to find it, don't it? Amen. All right, look in verse 15. This is the church of Laodicea. Guess what? He knows us. 
He knows every person in here and what they're doing. He knows every person in here and what they're not doing. So he knows what our problem is. Say it with me. He's still working on me. He's still working on me. Yes. You know why? He's perfecting his church. And in these letters, he's giving practical help. He's going to tell you what's right. He's going to praise, say, listen, this is what's going good. And all these letters except the two. And then this is, this is the problem. All of them had a problem except the church of Philadelphia. That was the sixth letter. All right? That was the model church. Man, that was, if there's anyone we want to be, it's the Philadelphian church. Amen? The church of the open door. And we're going to talk about that in detail coming up. But then we see, then we see the prescriptions. Verse 5, verse 10, verse 16, verse 25, chapters 3, verse 2, verse 3, verse 18. And every one of these, he says, this is what you need to do. For instance, for instance, in the church of Ephesus, the praise was this. You're not putting up with sin. You're, 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 those false teachers, you're, you're weeding them out. You're, you're, putting, you're, you're toughing all the, all the persecution, all the tribulation you're going through. You're toughing it out. You're doing great. But nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. There is a problem. There is something you need to work on. There is something that you need to deal with. He says, then he tells them the prescription. Aren't you glad we have a God that won't just tell you what your problem is? Man, I, I, I'm telling you, I've been in conferences and revivals, and I've been in where, where preachers just get up there, and I'm talking about just go after it wide open and have you so low down in the carpet of the, fi the fibers of the carpet you can't look up and then leave you there. <laughs> tell you how low down and sorry and what all the problems in your life. But then, you know, then don't leave me there, amen? Jesus never did. If he told you what was wrong, he tells you how to make it right. Amen? In the very next part, he said, he said uh, 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 Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because you left your first love. And then he gives them the prescription. What is that? Remember. Remember from whence thou art fallen. Repent and do thy first works. Or else I will come quickly and remove thy candlestick. Now he's giving them the consequences if they don't. But he tells them what to do. I am so glad. Don't ever, don't ever be despaired if you realize you got a problem. Don't ever be despaired when you realize in your life that you've got a weakness or you've got an issue in your life because God will always give you the answer to the issue in your life. Say amen. amen. I, I love this. Jesus is right for whatever's wrong in your life. Whatever problem you have, whatever weakness you have, whatever lingering thing that's going on in your life, whatever thing that you just you cannot get victory over, you cannot, uh, it just seems like you can't win, it's in there. Say amen. There's an answer. God has an answer. He will give you the prescription for the issue, okay? So that's the practical help. In all these seven letters, he's helping those seven churches with those seven specific problems in those seven specific churches. But, but, all throughout the church age, in every church, we all will face the same kind of problems. Are y'all with me? Say amen. So we can learn from these. And we can apply these. There's, there's been times in my life I needed to remember where I have fallen from. I, I need to remember when I've gotten away from being faithful, when I've gotten away from being excited about the things of God, when I've gotten away from being committed like I need to be committed. And I, I need to repent and go back and do what I did in the beginning. Say amen. See, we can apply that to every single day today. All right? Now, here's a real cool part. 
Here's a real cool part. Let's jump into number two. <clears throat> number two. Let's look at the prophetic history. <clears throat> now, here's, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to lay out, I'm going to lay out the, the seven ages or the seven periods of, of the church. And then as we go through each, as we go through each letter, we may be able to get two letters a night. I, I don't know, it just depends. Uh, we may just do one letter, the Church of Ephesus next week, or we may get two at a time. I don't know. We'll, we'll, figure, we'll figure out how we're going to do that. It just depends on what time we have. But as we go through that, I'm going to go into more detail. I'm going to kind of lay it out for you tonight, and then we'll go into detail in the, in the different letters. Does that sound like a plan? Say amen. amen. At the end, at the end, here's what you're going to see. Here's what you're going to see. There is going to be, there is going to be a corrupted church. Say that with me. There's going to be a... A corrupted church, but always remember this. And then this is what I'm going to show you at the end of the seven letters. That even in the time of corruption as the church as a whole, there's always a pure remnant church that comes through it all. Always. God always has a remnant. He always has his... You remember, you remember when uh, the prophet... Uh, 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 the prophet Elijah was whining and complaining. He said, I'm the only one serving you now. He said, Nuh-uh. I've reserved unto me. I reserved, I think it was 7,000 if I remember right. 7,000 that have not bowed their knee unto Baal. God will always have his remnant. And man, you're part of that. Say amen. And so we're going to show you that and some Baptist history that goes along with that. At the end, and that's I'm hoping we'll get our charts in in time for that particular uh, lesson there. But let's let's jump into this here tonight. Prophetic history. There's no doubt about it. <clears throat> There's no doubt about it. R. H. Clayton said this: It can be no mere coincidence that these epistles do set out the salient characteristics of the church through the centuries, and no one can deny that they are presented in historical sequence all the way from the apostolic age of Ephesus all the way to the, the apostate church of the Laodicea, all right? So for filling in notes, I want you to write this down. During the prophetic history, first it starts with tribulation. Tribulation. Ephesus and Smyrna are under intense, intense persecution. And, and where we find the persecution here is under the iron heel of Rome. Domitian, uh, all of the Roman Caesars here, 10 different Caesars, Diocletian, uh, uh, they are seriously, seriously persecuting the church. They had Peter killed, crucified upside down, Paul beheaded. Uh, uh, you know, they, were, they blamed, they blamed the, 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 the burning of Rome on the Christians to kind of get it off of his own back. And so we see Christians are being martyred, Christians are being killed, Christians are being... Taking and, and by the way, by the way, Paul was a part of some of that before God saved him. If you'll remember, he said he was wreaking havoc on the church. He was going about hailing men and women to prison, and uh, because he didn't understand, he was doing it in ignorance. He was having them arrested. They would take Christians. If 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 uh, 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 if, if you'd like a, a good book to read about that, Fox's Book of Martyrs. Fox's Book of Martyrs. That, that, that that's a great book to read. Uh, but they would take Christians and, 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 and put them in these coliseums and turn wild dogs against them. Let, let, let animals eat their children in front of them because of they are naming the name of Christ. Intense persecution. I mean, we, we think we're persecuted if it's raining when we go to church. 
We, we have no concept of being boiled in oil or poured uh, hot tar over us or being skinned alive. Look in Hebrews. Look in Hebrews chapter number 11. It's some of the, some of the, 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 the witness of the hall of faith. I'll be honest with you. Some of us are going to be ashamed by the complaints and the, and the whining that we do when we get to heaven and talk to some of them. Well, I tell you that air conditioners out Sunday in our church. We just suffered for Jesus. Somebody beside you say, you know, they killed all my children. Now think about that. This church was greatly persecuted. All right? While John's writing this, while John's writing this, all of the apostles so far have been killed. Some beheaded, some slain with a sword, some boiled in oil, uh, some filleted alive. But all of them are dead and died a violent life, a violent death. Okay? So, persecution. The first thing that the church faces is persecution. All right? Then, the second phase, the second phase would be uh, Pergamos and Thyatira. There's deviation. Deviation. Pergamos means mixed marriage. <clears throat> it means a mixing. And then we're going to learn, we're going to learn, this is when, when the world and the church begin to mix. How many of y'all know, without a shadow of a doubt, by studying your Bible, the world and the church should never mix? The church and the state should never be together. It says if you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy to God. All right? The church should never be popular with the world. And by the way, a true church that's preaching the truth, standing on the truth, will never be popular with the world. Never. But it began to mix, and we're going to learn about that with Constantine. Constantine made Christianity popular. Constantine did it as a political move, not because he was converted and became a, he was never a true Christian. But he made Christianity the state religion. And there, then we see that the, came about the state church. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that and develop that some more. But then we see not only deviation, first was tribulation, then deviation, but then we see reformation. Reformation. This is the time of the reformation. Reforming means come out. Sardis means come out. The only problem with the reformation, guys, is they didn't come out far enough. So I thought the Reformation was a good thing. God called the church of Sardis dead. Dead. Now I'll go into more detail about that. The Reformation, then we see Philadelphia. <clears throat> Philadelphia is the church of the open door. He said, I place before you an open door which no man can shut. And that is the time that we find that you've got your King James Bible come out of that, that particular time. And we find great revivals. Great missionary movements. The first missionaries that went out came during this time. Why? God opened the door of evangelism, opened the door so that the, 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 the gospel of Christ could get far and wide. What a great time and exciting time. Well, if, there was, if, there, if we had a time machine where we could go back, that's where we'd want to go. And that's what we want to see, where, where people flock to hear the gospel. People flock to hear. I mean, listen, there, were, there would be times when you'd have two and three week revivals. I'm talking about real things. I'm not talking about man-motivated stuff that, that you, anyway, anyway. I mean the real deal. You can't get people out three days today. I'm telling you, I'm, this is just a fact. This is where we're at. 
But then lastly, lastly, we see tribulation, deviation, reformation. There's a, there's a beginning of coming out, but not far enough. Then we see the Philadelphian church age, and then we see declination. This is the Laodicean age. Laodicean age. He says, you're lukewarm. <clears throat> because you're lukewarm, I'll spew thee out of my mouth. And like I said, we're going to go into, we're going to go into a lot more detail with that. <clears throat> now let's look at them individually. Let's look at them individually. All right, the church of Ephesus, the church of Ephesus represents the apostolic church period. This is from Pentecost to 160 A.D. That should be right underneath your notes, right? You got that? All right. Uh, that is at the time of Pentecost, and, and we'll find the majority, the majority of that and the persecuted church in the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. Okay, that's what the book of Acts is. Basically, the book of Acts is a historical book. It's a book of history of the early church and how we got, and, and it'll basically tell you, if you went from John to Romans, you would not know how the gospel got to Rome. Amen? But through the, through the book of Acts, you find out how that took place. You learn about the apostolic church. You learn about uh, uh, the, the day of Pentecost where God's power came down. Peter preached the gospel. Thousands believed on him. And the Lord was adding to the church daily such as should be saved. That's the apostolic age. Amen? What, a, that, what an exciting time. But it didn't take long. It didn't take long because of persecution. Because of persecution. The Bible says, it, because iniquity abounds, the love of many shall wax cold. I, you know, the truth be known, you know, it, it, it'll wear on you. And so we move out of the apostolic church age into the next, which would be the persecuted church. Persecuted church, which would be Smyrna. Myrrh. Myrrh was used, a derivative of this name, Myrrh was used for embalming, you know, and it, and it talks about the, the suffering and the persecution that they went through. This is 161 A.D. to 312 A.D. And then we see the mixed church period. This is Pergamos. Remember I said the word means mixed marriage, a mixing. There was a mixing of the world and the church, mixing of the state and the church. The state and the church should never have anything to do with each other. The government should never tell you what to preach. Period. The only thing, the only authority we need is given to us by God's holy word. <clears throat> the mixed church. Because of the mixed church period, then we find the papal church period. When Roman Catholicism, the cult, came into being. This is 600, this is Thyatira. And we're going to go into detail about that. 600 A.D. to 1516. And this is, also, this is also what's called the Dark Ages. The Dark Ages. <clears throat> All right? And then the Reformed Church. When the Reformers, this is when, where you have uh, Luther and Calvin and Zwingli, uh, different ones coming out and, 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 and coming out of the, the, the Roman Catholicism. <clears throat> the Reformed Church period, 1517 to 17. And now these are approximate. This ain't the exact. This is just a, a historian giving you the approximate times here. 1750 A.D. Then we find the Missionary Church period. Philadelphia, 1750 to 1950. <clears throat> Some great hymns were written during them period of times. Great songs. Great missionary movements. Great... Great churches were built during that period of time. 
There was an open door of evangelism, open door of God's touch. But then we move from the missionary church period to the apostate church period, Laodicea, from about 1950 to where we are today. Now, now look at the difference. Look at the difference between the Philadelphia and by the way, each one of these periods they, it acts as a waterfall. It's, in other words, in other words, there's tendencies that take place in the apostolic church age that take place today. There's tendencies in the persecuted church. How many of y'all know the church is still being persecuted? Maybe not in America, but in Sudan, Vietnam, North Korea. The church is still being persecuted. Are y'all with me? So it acts as a waterfall. Every single one of these different ages are still happening today. In other words, you can have a Philadelphian church in a Laodicean age. All right? Does that make sense? All right? Look here. In the Philadelphian church, the Bible says, I place before you what kind of door? Everybody say it. I place before you an open door. What does it say in the Laodicean church? He says, I stand at the door and... Now, what kind of door do you knock on? A closed door. Now, who is speaking here at this time? Jesus. If you have to knock, you are on the... Now, what is Jesus wanting? To come in. Now, he's speaking to the Laodicean church age. He's speaking to the Laodicean church, if you will. And he's saying, I'm knocking on the door. So the majority of churches today, the majority of churches today, Jesus is on the outside wanting to come in. And there is a closed door. Now, I want to I speak to all the revivalists in here in a minute that's praying for a great mass revival in our world and thinking Donald Trump's going to bring it in. Please don't go there. There is not an open door anymore. And sometimes, sometimes people that come out of the 1950s and the way they did church then, they're frustrated because what they used to do then is not working today. And the reason is because in 1950 there was an open door. Today there is a. So there might be methods and there might be ways that may have been prosperous then or may have been effective then that may not be effective today. You say, well, how are we to be effective? He said, if any man will hear my voice and open the door, let me. All we got to do is let him in. But do you, you, let me tell you why. You let me tell you why many places and many mainline churches don't want to let Jesus in because He'll ransack the place. If Jesus was to go into the majority of churches today, they would not look the same. They'd have to stop half the garbage they're doing. Why? Because when Jesus comes in, He goes to rearranging. I, I'm sorry, I got a terrible illustration in my head. I'm going to get in trouble for when I get home. <clears throat> any of y'all men, any of y'all men go to bed before your wife and get comfortable and perfect? I mean, you're in that spot, man. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I mean, you're in that spot. You just, you just right, I mean, right there in the twilight of, of just being, 
Oh, I, I mean, I'm just in, in heaven right now. I mean, just in a, everything done got warmer, monks just say, man. And then someone comes in and goes snatching stuff around and pulling stuff. Thank God my wife ain't in here. Amen. <laughs> what are you doing? I, I, it's got to be straight. You, gotta... you know what? That's what would happen in many churches today. If they was to let Jesus in, he'd go to... Hello? You know why? Because when he's amongst the church, the Bible says this. I have somewhat against thee. Now watch here, watch here. Let me, let me give you something real quick. We got, we got time. Uh, look what he says to the church of Ephesus. Look what he says to the church of Ephesus. He says, he says I have somewhat against thee because you left your first love. Remember for whence I art fallen, repent, or else I will come quickly. Now watch this. Here's the, here's the or else. How many of y'all know you don't want God to have an or else with you? He said, or else I will come quickly. This is how serious he is about this deal. Or else I will come quickly and I will remove thy candlestick out of his place. Now what does that mean? What does that mean? The candlestick was used in the tabernacle and in the temple. In other words, how many of y'all remember when we did the, 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 the temple, there was the holy place and then there was the holy of holies. In the holy of holies was the ark of the covenant, the Shekinah glory of God, the glory, the light from God lit that area. In here, in the holy place, there was a table of showbread, the altar of incense, and the golden candlestick. And that candlestick was the only thing that was to promote light in that place. There was no outside light or natural light allowed in that place, only the light coming from the candlestick. And they had to bring oil daily for that to burn, and it represented the presence of the Holy Spirit. And that light and that fire represented the presence of God, which also represented the power of God. And so what is he saying? Get your act straight, or I'm going to come and take my presence out of this place. And when I take my presence out of this place, my power is going to go with my presence. In other words, do you realize that there are so many churches today that are operating in their natural talent, their natural ability. They have no idea that God is not even there. And if God came and removed his presence, they wouldn't know the difference. What makes a church effective, what makes a church powerful, is not the natural talent that the people have. It's not a great ability to sing. It's not a great ability to speak. It's not a great ability to organize. It is the presence of the Holy Ghost in that building, the presence of God in that place. It's only the power of God that's going to change a sinner. It's only the grace of God, the presence of God that will move inside of us. It's the only thing that's going to make a difference. And we can have a Philadelphian church in a Laodicean age, every church in God, and I'm not saying that that's it, there's some good churches everywhere. But in an age where the majority of churches are dead, when the majority of churches are lukewarm, when there is no life, when there is no excitement, when there's no new births happening, nobody being baptized, nobody being brought into the, into the church by the body of Christ, you can still be excited, you can still have the power of God, and you can still win people to Christ. Somebody say amen. You can have it if you let him in. 
But if you let him in, he's going to do his thing. And so just get ready for him to get on your toes every now and then and go to work. But I promise you, it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. Amen? Listen, then we have the promise and hope. I, I gave that to you last week. But let me just read it to you for those that didn't get to write it down last week. There's an active involvement. He says, I stand at the door or not. There's a promise and hope during this church age. The hope is this. He's actively involved. Then B, there's an attractive invitation. He said, if any man hear my voice, let him open the door. <clears throat> but then there's an affection indwelling. I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. All right. Now, we see in the church as a whole that the world sees a, a corruption, right? We go, from, uh, we go from persecution, deviation, reformation, you know, uh, declination, I think is what the last word was. But we go, we go from being persecuted to in, in an apostate state, bad. Right? But remember this. In the middle of all of that, even during the Dark Ages, even during the time of the corruption of Roman Catholicism, even during the deadness of the Reformation, where they came out but didn't come out far enough, all the way back to the apostolic age, you will find a line of faithful people where God had a remnant and the church came through. Say amen. Let me give you some verses. Just write these down because I didn't make copies. The preserved church throughout the age. Matthew 16, 14. <clears throat> and I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. All right, so who's doing the building? Who's doing the building? Can he fail? No. How you know? And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Amen. Matthew 16, 14. Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. Watch this now. And lo, I am with you always. Always. What does that mean? Ephesus. <laughs> Y'all with me? Ephesus. Thyatira. Smyrna. Pergamos, all of, all of these, even during those days, I am with you. Not the corrupt church, but that pure, that congregate. And we'll see them, we'll see them. Ephesians 3.12, or excuse me, 3.21. Ephesians 3.21. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Throughout all ages, there's going to be glory in the church. Not the corrupt church, but God's church. That pure line all the way through. W.A. Gerald said this. <clears throat> W.A. Gerald said this. There has never been a day since the organization of the first New Testament church in which there was no genuine church of the New Testament existing on earth. Even though all of the corruption of Roman Catholicism and dead Protestantism, there was still a true New Testament church. Say amen. J.M. Carroll, J.M. Carroll, 
into the dark ages when a group of many churches, which never in any way identified with Catholics, out of the dark ages came a group of churches which had never been in any way identified with Catholics. In other words, throughout before and after, there was still a pure church. R.B. Cook said this, Baptists are able to trace their distinctive principles to the apostolic age. When through the union of the church and state became generally corrupt, there still remained in obscure places churches and sects which maintained the pure doctrines and ordinances of Christ. And hence it is certain that these churches and sects held substantially the same principles which are now held as the distinctive views of the Baptists. What does that mean? I am a Baptist, and I'm going to talk about this later on in great, great detail. But I am not a Baptist because it says it on the sign. And I'm not a Baptist because my father was a Baptist. You're not born a Baptist. You have to be saved and baptized a Baptist. Now, why am I a Baptist and not something else? Because I believe because of principles that we believe and the practices we hold are the closest to the pattern the New Testament church is in the Bible. We take our only authority from God's holy word. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Let me read one more. We got one minute, 55 seconds. We'll use every second. Say amen. Charles Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon uh, was once called the prince of preachers, probably one of the greatest preachers of, of, of any time. He said, we believe that the Baptists are the original Christians. He said, we did not commence our existence at the Reformation. We were reformers before Luther or Calvin were born. We never came from the church of Rome, for we were never in it. But we have an unbroken line up to the apostles themselves. We have always existed from the very day of Christ, and our principles sometimes veiled and forgotten, like a river which may travel underground for a little season. You could talk about that through the, through the, uh, the dark ages when they were being persecuted. Uh, the Roman church was killing Baptists. Uh, even Protestants, and I, I'm going to give you some stories that will curl your hair, where they have been persecuted through the whole time, hiding in caves in different places. Even though that, that river may run underground for a little season, have always had honest and holy adherence. Persecuted alike by Romanists and Protestants of almost every sect, yet there has never existed a government holding Baptist principles which persecuted others. Nor, I believe, any body of Baptists ever held to be right uh, held it to be right to put the consciences of others under the control of man. We, that means soul liberty, guys. We have, we have ever been ready to suffer, as our moderologies will prove, but we are not ready to accept any help from the state to prostitute the purity of the bride of Christ to any alliance with government, and we will never make the church the despot over the consciences of men. Somebody give God praise and glory right there. <clears throat> What does that mean? What does that mean? It means this. There is a corrupt church and corrupt church ages, but God will always keep a pure line and there's always been a remnant. And there's always been a group of people down through the ages and as and we're getting them charts in, you're going to be able to see it. It's, it I'm telling you, I, I got so much, kind of got overwhelmed with a lot of information yesterday from that historian that it's going to be really cool stuff that you're going to be able to get and, and take and look in each one of these ages where, where you can trace your heritage, your Baptist heritage through. So, so be praying about that. How many of y'all learned something tonight? <clears throat> all right, all right, let's stand, let's stand.
32 seconds overtime. 